how to deal with offense within our life. And, and this morning, uh, or this week, as I was pondering over it, actually for the last couple of weeks, I've just been pondering over just sort of a, a concept of, about offense. And who knows that sometimes you can be offended without anyone actually doing anything to you. Is that just me? Is that me? I could walk into a place and be offended and no one's done anything. And so this morning I thought I would title my, my message, Preconceived Offense. Preconceived Offense. You know what, often as Christians we can come to Jesus with our preconceptions. With our preconceptions of who he is. And in turn, we try to force him into our mold. Does anyone do that with Jesus? Has anyone ever done that? We can't help it. We see the world through our lens of experience and core beliefs. We can't escape our biases, our subjective biases. Who knows that? Also, for some... It is Jesus, and we look at it as Jesus, the killjoy. For others, or for some of us, we have a positive outlook of who he is. But the mold is precast, and we pour Jesus and his teachings into what we believe, and consequently, we often missed out on the real Jesus. Has anyone ever thought about that sort of a concept? is that sometimes we come to Jesus and we say, hey, listen, you're my Lord or you're my Saviour, but we forget about adding him as Lord. And we keep him in a box without even really knowing it. And as I was coming across this concept and just really how do I outlay this, is I was reading in Mark chapter 6. And if you want to turn there, Mark chapter 6, verse 1 to 6. And it says, Jesus... Well, really, it was Jesus rejected Nazareth. And then it says, He went out from there and came to his home country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is in this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands. In this, is this not a carpenter, the son of Mary, a brother of James, Joseph, jo- <clears throat> Judas, and Simon, and not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and his own house. Now he could not do mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in the circuit teaching. I was looking at this and in this text we find that people were astonished with him. In this text we find that they looked at his wisdom and his mighty works But assessing Jesus through the lens of their familiarity and knowing him, they miss the blessing that Jesus had. How many times can we come to Jesus 
or even go to people and through familiarity, we can't even accept what God has for us. Preconceived offense. It, it, someone hasn't done anything, but it's just they have a presumption. They, they look at you and they're like, well, I'm offended. If we look in Mark, we find the key statement. So they were offended at him. Their perception found offense in Jesus. Their perception of who he was. They, they looked at Jesus and they were like, you know what, they, at first they were astonished. How many times do you find that people are astonished at who God is? Is that these guys, they walk in and they were astonished. They see his mighty works. But then all of a sudden, they started to get offended at him. They said this, you, you know, this man, he, he's mum, like he's mum, like she, he's a carpenter. Wasn't his mum that one that ran around town saying something about a virgin birth? Is that all of a sudden they'd seen who Jesus was, but then through their knowing of him growing up, couldn't accept him for who he was. And in turn got offended at him. Jesus did nothing wrong. He healed the sick. He had great words of wisdom. He teached. But beyond that, they looked at their preconceived idea of who he was, the familiarity of seeing him grow up. Who knows that some people just get offended no matter what. I love Proverbs eighteen nineteen. It says, A brother offended is harder to win over than a strong city. Offense. For some of us, we need to actually guard our heart against offense. There's just no way round it. As soon as offense is there, that's it. You could have laid everything out. Everything could have been perfect, but they'll still get offended. And so today, I want to have a look at these things as a church. I look at a church, is that the amount of people that come through our doors, there are some people that get offended. No. Uh, look at right now, someone probably could have been offended by the door greeters. If you're offended by the door greeters, I'm sorry, just raise your hand right now. <laughs> we'll deal with you later. But you know what, so some people, you know, get offended by door greeters. It is true. You know, I, I, maybe you walk through the doors and you're expecting knuckles and they give you a high five and all of a sudden you're offended. Offended over preference. Don't laugh. It's true. I, I remember about probably 12 months ago, true story. And, and as our church is growing, there's new people getting involved and new people on the door, new people in the van, new people everywhere. It's great. It's a, you know, everyone wants the church to grow. But there are some that get offended. 
I, I remember a door greeter and what she was positioned. I think she was in the middle door welcoming people. And so you know how you come in the door, there's some people welcome you. And, and this girl, she wanted to be involved. And she's like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll just door greet. There's no one doing the middle door. I'll do this. I'll, I'll do that. And it was probably the first time someone's ever done it. And so she's doing it there, and, and she comes to me later, and she goes, Sam, I don't know what I did wrong. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, well, someone walked past me, and they totally ignored me. Like, they wouldn't even say hello. They wouldn't even acknowledge I exist. And I even said hello, and I reached out my hand, and they just... Some people just get offended. No matter what. She wasn't offended. She felt sorry, but for some reason... Some people get these preconceived ideas, and for some of us, and veterans, if we've been here for long enough, what are these new people doing? Who's this new person welcoming me at the door? I don't need to be welcomed at my church. You know, we have a friendly church. It's great. You know, if, if we're not friendly, people won't come. Who wants to be involved in that? And I, I just think, right there... This girl has just said, hey, I want to put my hand to serving God, serving God and welcoming people into the house. But for some reason, without even knowing it, someone walked in offended. Not because of what someone else did, but because of their preconception or of what they believe. Same too can happen. And I see people twitch. You know, as soon as you move the structure of the seats, everyone's laughing because they know that's me. They twitch. And again, as, as our church is growing and, and coming forward, you know, sometimes if you're not early enough, you don't get your seat. Who's like that? Who's that? Yeah. Don't get your, someone sitting in your seat. How, how weird is that? So, someone this morning probably did, walked in here and was like, sitting in my seat. Now, I know because as soon as I get up here, most people sit in the same seat every week. <laughs> but, but for some of us, we're there and we're like this, and it's like, they're sitting in my seat. Do they know it's my seat? You know, for some strange reason, you have an attachment to this seat. It's like you're sitting in your seat right now and you can't hear what God has for your life because you're offended because someone is sitting in your seat. Not a, not a fact that that person's probably new. Probably doesn't even know it's your seat. And you're probably sitting there saying, that is my, do they know I've been here for 10 years, I brought that seat. My tithes has paid. And they're playing this thing over and over and over again and they're just sitting there offended. No one's actually done anything to them. You know, we're all laughing because why? Because who knows it's them. <laughs> but for some of us, we get so focused on, on that seat and you're sitting during the message, you're giving them the evil eye. You're in the back row, you're giving them the evil eye and they're just sitting there like, they have no idea. They're not looking at you. You're wasting your time. But then sometimes we, we can laugh at that, we can look at that, and you're all offended, but maybe that was the morning that God placed you in the back row because the person next to you might have needed encouragement. Or maybe the person next to you 
could be new. But of course, I know you're looking at your seat. And this is what I find with God is, is that in, the, in Mark, is we've got these guys, they're seeing Jesus and they're astonished and they're like, wow, look at what he's doing. This is amazing. But then all of a sudden it's like, hey, hang on. Isn't this the carpenter, the young punk? And then all of a sudden they miss what God has for them. They, they miss what Jesus could actually pour out into their community, into their life, into those around them. It says, and it goes on, it says, He marveled at their unbelief and it says He could do little miracles. We need to be careful. Because if we come into a place where our, 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 how we put God and how we see things is out of a preference, then we'll miss what God has. The seat, it's an offense out of preference. It's just a preference. It's a minor issue. It's nothing. But to someone, they've taken hold of it and it's eaten away at their very life. How many times do we do that? For some people will walk in here and they'll see a woman on the stage. Oh no. Actually, we'll leave that one. <laughs> oh, what's this? The pastor doesn't have a tie. No, I don't have a tie. I probably couldn't tie one. But for sometimes it's just a preference. Is that offense takes hold of our heart out of preference and not really out of anything at all. And so sometimes, you know what, people will offend you, but most of the time I find we get offended from just our own preferences and our own, own pre um what it pre <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks, babe. And so today, where do you sit? Where do you sit? No matter how many people we have in church, and we're going to have people, no matter when you get this many people in a room, there is a chance for offense. There is a chance for offense. Every time I get this mic, there is a chance for offense. You know, if I have, and, and put up the disclaimer, we need to do a disclaimer because we're in that day and age. If you have ever been offended, sorry. And if you've never been offended, if I've never offended you, it's just a matter of time. So there. Above our preconceived ideas on how I should be treated and what I think should happen that causes my offence. You know, the way we deal with offence and disappointment will determine our future. And if we don't deal with offence, offence will deal with you. Offence will deal with you. I love this. Offence is the greatest tool the devil has to stop God, to stop what God wants to do in us and through us. In us and through us. So this morning, just a few quick thoughts. 
as Christians, I believe that we need to guard against preconceived offenses. And so this morning, I just want to give you a few thoughts on just what I, I believe that we need to do to guard against these offenses in our life. The first one is, is guard your heart. Guard your heart. Proverbs 4, 22 to 4 says, for they, are, for they are life to those who find them. And this is talking about the words of God. And health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issue of life. Put away from you the deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Guard your heart. Keep your heart with all diligence. I love that. Keep your heart with all diligence. As I started to look through this and just do a, a word search on this, I realized that diligence is in the seven heavenly virtues. Did anyone ever know that? No idea. It's in the seven heavenly virtues. It says this, it says, Diligence is a zealous and careful nature in one's actions and work. Decisive work action, steadiness in belief, fortitude, and the capability of not giving up. Budgeting one's time, monitoring one's own activities to guard against laziness. Upholding one's convictions at all times, especially when no one else is watching. Guard your heart. My question to you today is, what is the posture of your heart? If you were to have a look right now, what is the posture of your heart? From time to time, we need to check the posture of our heart. Because if everything flows out of our heart, don't you think our heart is the first thing offense will take hold of? It's the first thing offense will start to attack. Is that attitudes that creep in at first, you know, sometimes they, they seem like nothing, but over time as they start to eat away at us, it can be the difference between life and death spiritually. This is what I find, is if our heart is off kilt, then everything we do and say is off kilt. You can normally, and most of the time, you can tell the state of someone's heart by the way they speak, by the way they talk. If their heart is defeated, there will always be defeat that comes out. If their heart is faith-filled, there will always be statements of faith. There will always be statements of, you know what, God is able. But if we're not careful and offense starts to eat away at our heart, over time, what you'll find is the language of some people start to change. But if faith gets a hold of your heart, language starts to change back the other way. And so for us, as we live our life and we come into a place where, you know what, we, 
we don't want to live in this place of offense. The question is, is what is the posture of your heart? And being faithful people the way we believe in God is that we need to take hold and guard the posture of our heart. I love the story of Job. A man that had everything, then lost everything. His sons, his daughters, his livestock. Everything except his wife. I know a couple of Sunday nights ago I preached on this. But I love how Job was. If you read the book of Job, you know, this guy had every cause for offense. You know, I, I talk about right now is that sometimes we put in a mold, we, we get offended over preferences and a seat. This guy actually had something to get offended over. He had the devil taunting him. He had Satan going to God, and God was saying, listen, my son Job, he is unbelievable. And, God is like, and Satan's like, well, okay, take your hand off him and let me touch these things. You can touch anything except his life. And we find in a matter of like one script, one, uh, one chapter, Job loses everything. And the only thing he's left with, with is his wife. But I, I love the state of his heart. And we find this man and we look at him within Scripture and we find he must have had a heart that was guarded because nothing got in. Offense never took place. If we look at Job 1, 21 to 22, and this is when he's lost everything and he says this, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord have taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The first sign for the state of his heart was his declaration. But then I love verse 22 and it says, In all this Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Nor charge God with wrong. I, I, I look at this as that his wife at one point came to him. When Job is sitting there, he's, he's got boils and he's scraping himself and he's got mates around him telling him, you know, you've sinned and trying to beat down on him and trying to find the fault within his life and, and whatnot. And he's there and he's, his wife comes over and says, you know, you know how about this? Do you still hold fast to your integrity, curse God, and die? Who, who wants a wife like that? <laughs> Lord God, send me an encouraging wife, one that will uplift me all the days of my life. That's, that was probably Job's prayer. He ended up with her. <laughs> but he's sitting there. He's like, just curse God and die. But I love is that Job, he, he kept check of his heart. And again, he just cries out, blessed be the name of the Lord. Throughout that whole story, we find this man, and the Bible says this, in all Job did, he did not sin with his lips. Come on, let's face it. How many of us would be in that position and wouldn't sin with our lips? 
earthly quiet in here. How many of us have had a beef with God every now and then? And we've told him what he thought, we thought. But you've got a man here who's lost everything, far more than I've ever lost, gone through far more things than I've ever gone through, but yet he did not sin once with his lips. Because sometimes when offence comes in and we get offended, and sometimes it's over a preference, we will sin with our lips, causing offence to those around us. This is why we need to guard our heart. I love Job. He guarded his heart, and at the end of the day, everything was restored to him, plus more. Because he knew how to deal with offense. He knew how to deal with those things of the heart. He was diligent with his heart. Today, what's the posture of your heart? Are you diligent with your heart? Luke 4, 45. It says, a good, a good man out of good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What do you give words to? What do you give words to? The second thing is guard the right foundations. Guard the right foundations. What are those foundations that are right and true? What are those things in your life that you know are secure and anchored with God? What are, what are those things in your life right now that are maybe foundations that are not right and that cause you to stumble? Or maybe those foundations have started to become preferences. And out of those preferences have caused you to stumble. Uh, I think this is one of the most important things, is that when our heart is right, our foundation needs to be right. And for me, there is only one foundation that we can build off, and that is Jesus Christ. He has to be the cornerstone. He has to be that one. I, I remember a few years ago, when uh, Carolina and I, we went to Rome. It was great. No kids. Oh, that's heaven. Oh, I got to sleep in. Actually, no, we didn't sleep in. But I, I remember going to Rome and seeing the architect, sure, of Rome. I remember going and seeing the magnificent things that take place, the Colosseum, Trivia Fountain, the roads, and I remember looking at those things, thinking to myself, they don't make things like that anymore. Is that these things have lasted thousands of years. They're still standing. The foundations are right. And so too with our life is that we need to get our foundations right so it lasts the tests of time. Is that when our heart's right, our foundation's right, nothing can move. Is it... We look at these things. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. says, Christ is our cornerstone. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, 
Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for the dwelling place of God in spirit. I find this is that Jesus needs to be set in place first. You can go around and you can look throughout Australia and you see, I, I love seeing the, the historical buildings. You know, the ones that you find in the city, the bluestone. And they're, they're, but you'll go there and you will find a cornerstone. And on that cornerstone, there'll be a name. There'll be a guy that dedicated. There'll be a guy that built it. There'll be a date. There'll be all those things on the cornerstone. And, and I believe this, within our foundation... Jesus needs to be the cornerstone of our life. Is that he needs to be the one where we've put in place. Is that a cornerstone will determine the position of the entire structure. The foundation that you lay in your life, the first brick, will determine what your structure will look like. It will determine how solid it is. Is that we've got to be thinking in this way. We've got to be looking and knowing that, you know, if a foundation hasn't been built right, it will start to crack over time. We see this in many Christians. Is that they come in and they make a decision for God, but somehow... They've just made a decision and that's where they've stopped. They've never gone any further. Is that when you step foot in here and you make a decision, what we say is, you know, this is, this is great. It's, a, it's just the start of a journey. It's the start of something new. It, it's not just based on a decision. But unfortunately, some people, they, they make a decision and then they walk out the door actually not ever going any further than just that moment of a decision. And so I believe this, as Christians, we need to go past the moment of a decision and calling Jesus Saviour, but calling Him Lord and Saviour. In other words, building the first block and saying, God, right now, you know, I've dedicated my life, I know you've saved me, but right now, you are my Lord, let's build my life from here. Another thing is, is if we don't put that stone in right, if we don't lay that cornerstone properly, our, our, our faith or our, our, our belief will be altered, will be out of form. And so when it comes time is that we need to guard our foundation, but also we need to guard the right foundation. We need to make sure we have the right foundation in place so that as we grow, we'll grow in the right ways that God's called us to grow. You know, I believe this, as people need to simply believe on Jesus and Him alone as their cornerstone. The key is to put your confidence in His finished work and not your own. In His finished work and not your own. From this standpoint, 
we can work from a position of faith, not to a position of faith. Most Christians work to a position of faith, not from a position of faith. When our foundation is right and our faith in Christ is anchored, then out of that, we live. Out of that, we have faith. Out of that, we move forward. Out of that, we see as God sees. And so, unfortunately, some Christians, because the foundation isn't right, we're always trying to get to a point of faith, grasping for faith, instead of just living out of faith. How's your foundation? How is your foundation? Guard your foundation. Guard your foundation. Set Christ as the cornerstone. Preconceived defense. The third one is guard the right relationships. Guard the right relationships. This is what I find is God's economy is relationship. No matter where you go. He sent his son to earth. Why? To die for us so that we could have a relationship with him. And sometimes I think for some of us, we don't really see this as, as important. But relationship is the most important, well, one of the most important things you could ever have. And, and the greatest tool the devil has is a fence to get and wedge inside those relationships. It is right there is that Satan came to God and he came in and he basically, what he tried to do is put a fence between God and Job. He came and he tried to just sever that relationship through offense. And so one of the most, well, the most important relationship that we should always guard is our vertical relationship with God. We should always guard that. We should always protect it. We should always come to a place of, of when anything comes against, no, this is my priority. We have a vertical relationship, God and us, us, and we have a horizontal relationship, which is others and us. Relationships need to be nurtured. We need to guard them, we need to nurture them. I love what Thomas Merton said. He says, the spiritual life is first of all a life. It is not merely something to be known or studied, it is to be lived. It is to be lived. Through the Bible, God communicates to us. Through prayer, we communicate to God. How do we strengthen and guard our relationship with God? First of all, we just pick up the Bible. Second of all, we just get on our knees. We need to guard that. We need to prioritize it. How's your time? How's your moments with God? Have they fallen by the wayside? Because something else has higher priority. The most important thing we need to do is guard our relationship with God. The second one, 
is our vertical relationships is to every is to those around us. And there are some relationships for those around us. You know, for some of us, we need to sever them. Whoa, did I say that? Yes. Some friendships, some associations, you know, aren't good for us. They, they draw us away from God and they actually destroy that relationship. And so for some of us, we need to look at, well, okay, which relationships do I need to break and which ones do I need to draw close? And as I was actually thinking about that, I was thinking of an old proverb that came up. It says this, is that if you sleep with dogs, you're going to get fleas. Real spiritual there. But then I found a real proverb. 1320. Become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. Our friendships determine the direction and quality of our life. Genuine friendships move in a positive, mutual, beneficial direction. You know, today, let's not let a fence take us out. Guard your heart. Guard your foundation. Guard those relationships that build, move you forward into your future. But most of all, guard your heart from offense. We see these guys and they were offended at Jesus. And because their offense at Jesus, no faith was in the place. He could do nothing because of the unbelief. And as soon as, a, and everyone, as soon as offense gets around your life, unbelief starts to happen. It breeds unbelief. And today, I want to encourage you. Put yourself in a place. Put yourself in a place where you don't box who God is. Put yourself in a place where you don't have a preconceived idea of what God should do for you. Put yourself in a place where you can open your mind and just say, God, okay, all the limits are gone. Do what you need to do. Put my biases, put my, put all that over to one side and God, just come in and do what you need to do. Any faulty thinking that I have right now, God, move it aside and let me just stand before you. And do what you need. Let me not box you in. So this morning, just as we were worshiping God, I love the song, Greater Is. 
And I thought right at the end of this message right now is that what I want us to do is I want us to just stand and we're just going to worship God. And I don't know where you are with God. I don't know your relationship with God. I don't know your perception of who God is to you. I pray that you haven't got Him in a box. And But this morning as we worship, we're just going to play through this once. And I believe as we're worshiping for some people that have put God in a box, I believe right now as you lift your hands, that box will be broken. I believe right now those perceptions that you have of God, you have of church, the preferences that you have of how things should be done will just fall away. And you'll come back to a place of God. Be God. Right now, if you want to just stand, we just worship. Thanks, guys.
Jesus, today. Come on, today, Father God. Father God, right now, over each and every one of us, any moulds that we've created, any preferences that we have on how you should work, the box that we've maybe put you in. Today, Father God, break it off our lives. The limitations that we put upon you, release them today so that we can live full lives. Full lives in knowing who you are, faith-filled, our foundation deep in you. Our relationship strong. Today, Father God. Break any preconceived ideas off our life. Ideologies. Let us see you for who you are. Let us worship you for who you are. You are greater what we could ever imagine today, Father, over every individual. In Jesus' name. Just while we're here, if you just bow your heads, close your eyes, and just as we're standing up, give this invitation. Today, I don't know where you are with Jesus Christ. I don't know whether you've actually ever come to church before. This might be the first time you've stepped into a church. But today, I just want to give you an opportunity to have a relationship with God. And the only way you have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. It says, believe on Him and you will be saved. And as you believe on Him, it is a journey. And today I just want to pray with you if you're like, I, I want to know God. I, I want to have the relationship with God. If you want that relationship right now, I just want you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with. Just as I look across. See one hand, yeah. Come on. Anyone else want to join the gentleman? Father God, today we pray. Lord God, that today cement that decision within his heart. Lord God, a relationship with you. And as he walks with you, Father God, I pray that your spirit comes and intertwines his life. So that's just the start of a journey and all that you have for him from this day forward. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.